You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Profiles in CRM, Episode 4. I'm your host, Chris Webster. Profiles in CRM asks CRM professionals eight simple questions. The answers vary wildly depending on their experience and education. Because of the nature of contract archaeology and how small this field really is, some people choose not to reveal their name or the company they work for. Stay to the end of the show to hear how you can have a chance to answer these same questions. All right, I'm here with Pam, and she's working on the East Coast, and we're going to head right into our profiles in CRM questions. All right, first one, how long have you been working in cultural resource management? Um, I graduated in 2010 and immediately got a job in the industry. Um, I started, I was very fortunate somehow, I don't know how, but I ended up immediately with a full-time lab and field position with a company, a small company that I absolutely adored. And um, I did that for about two years and then decided I needed to do, I needed to to dip my toes in the true shovel-bumming waters. (laughs) So for whatever reason, whatever possessed me, I quit that full-time wonderful job and Mm -hmm. have been shovel-bumming ever since. But it's given me the opportunity to uh, move around and um, also move up a little bit and, you know, do crew chiefing as well. So, So I guess about four years now. Well, that leads me into my next question. Uh, what position in on CRM projects do you usually have, and what's the highest position that you've attained? So what I mean is, are you usually a field tech? Are you usually a crew chief at this point? And what's the highest you've ever you've ever been? Well, I just started crew chiefing this year, so I guess I I guess for the majority of my time I've been a field tech, but now I am crew chiefing for the most part. Hopefully, that trend will continue, um, and that is the highest position I have attained. Okay. Well, as uh, as you probably know, you've worked with some some old timers uh, who have been crew chiefs, PIs, and then back to field techs, and possibly you'll have somebody who's been in for twenty years that's been a PI before that'll work for you. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's tons of moving around, up and down. I mean, and you get burned out doing one position or another, and sometimes you want to just be a mindless hole digger, you know? Yeah. Sometimes that's nice to to just give up all the responsibility for a little while and go back to just, just digging. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I don't blame everybody who does that once in a while. Absolutely. All right, so where in the country have you worked? Uh, what states have you worked in? Oh, uh, well, um, states, it would take me a long time to list them off. I've pretty much covered the entirety of the mid-Atlantic and southeastern states with the ex- exceptions of a few Um, and I did a single project in Nevada, so Mm -hmm. I can put a little bit of West Coast, I guess that's not the coast, but... Great Basin. Great Basin, and then also, uh, Texas, I did a project in West Texas, which was really fun. Um, so all around, uh, when I was, you know, full-time, I was pretty much stuck in the southeastern United States, but after I quit that job, I was able to move around a lot and have seen a lot of the country and worked in a lot of it. Nice, nice. That's that's true shovel bum in there. I like it. Yeah, it's fun. So this question is uh, open to your interpretation, because uh, <laughs> I've had people answer this different ways. Uh, so I'll just I'll just let let you go on with that. Um, what is the best thing that's happened to you that's related to being an archaeologist? And I, I just mean related to I guess being a CRM archaeologist. And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything that's you know career related or something like that. Um, you know, people have all kinds of different answers to this. So what would you say is the best thing that's happened to you that's directly related to you being an archaeologist and what that's meant for you? Oh, man. Yeah. That's... It's hard to question and answer. Yeah, that that's definitely something to think about. You know, like, 
the job is a lot of fun and I really enjoy what I do most of the time. Um, <laughs> but I think ultimately, at least my experiences have been, you know, archaeology in the contractual world, you get a lot of these stupid projects that are pipeline projects or, you know, power line corridors or whatever. Like, yeah, you're doing archaeology, but it's not glamorous and it's not, you're not finding fun things. But even even with these shitty projects, oh, am I allowed to say bad words? Sorry, fuck. You're right. <laughs> um, you, you end up in places and with people you've never met, never been before, and, like, you get to see parts of the country that nobody would ever choose to go to, but you're forced into these situations and you have to not only um, explore these shitty little towns with who knows what there is to do there, you're by yourself sometimes, like with people you've never met, you make new friends, you, um, I, I just have seen myself develop into this person that's far more outgoing, far more comfortable with herself, willing to try things by herself, whether somebody wants to go with or not, you know, like, you just really have to kind of get out there and take some risks in order to enjoy your life in these shitty little places. And I just, I really, I can see that change in myself and I really appreciate it. And I like who I am more now that I've been doing the shovel bumming thing. Nice. That's awesome. And not get too philosophical on you. Or <laughs> well, that's definitely a unique answer. I haven't heard that one before. Some people say, oh, I've got to... Uh, I, I don't know. I got to travel. Uh, one person um, met their uh, boyfriend on the on a project and stuff like that. So, oh Lord uh, knows, there's a lot of that. Well, yeah, that's true. Talk to that person six months later and see if that's still the same answer. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, <laughs> what is the biggest thing uh, you would change that would make being a CRM archaeologist better? Oh boy. Yeah. And and again, go wherever you want on this one. Oh man. Um. I, with my personal experience, for the past two years, I have been pretty much strictly operating in the oil and gas realm of CRM archaeology, and um, it is pretty disheartening to see some of the things that fly in this realm of what they call, uh, it's essentially compliance. And, um, to see, you know, some of the things that, uh, legally are okay now and, um, uh, some things that the processes have changed in order to be more efficient for, you know, the, uh, the contractor, um, it's, it's a little disheartening and it feels, um, kind of like I've sold my soul a little bit which is unfortunate, but at the same time, it's <laughs> it's hard to go into any other part of uh, CRM and make the same kind of money. So I guess there's that end of things. But um, I, I would like to see, I think it's a pipe dream, pun intended. A pipeline dream. Yeah, pipeline dream. I would like to see things come back the way more so of um, uh, less... Um, less compliance and more actual concern with the archaeology that uh, is about to get blown through with a massive corridor. Um, I've seen things written off that shouldn't be, and I personally have done things that I question my own ethics, but you get, you get the pressure and you feel like, oh, if I don't get, you know, if I don't keep up, if I don't meet deadlines, you know, 
what's I'm going to, I'm going to catch the short end of this. And, um, it changes your perspective on, on what you prioritize at work. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, that's true. So, so what you're basically saying is you would call for either a, a regulatory change or, um, maybe an adherence to even some existing regulations that might yeah. not be happening. Yeah. Both, both. I mean, there's just so much pressure, you know, um, to get it done to, so, I mean, I've worked on projects where I have, um, we've been in the field and literally across the road behind us, the bulldozers are coming and, you know, they're setting up to come in right behind us and, um, or, you know, you get to a corridor and, oh shit, they've already, they've already been here. They've blown through this. Like it, the, 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 the line's already cleared. They've already bulldozed it. Like, um, and that certainly isn't you know, our company's fault, but there is a certain disconnect, I feel like, between uh, the uh, giving a shit about the archaeology and, uh, oh, well, we'll just pay the fines, you know, we have these billions and billions of dollars as an oil and gas company, and they, I mean, it, it's, it's just terrible. I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's, 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 it's no good. Yeah, the bigger the company too. I mean, the, the smaller companies that choose to pay fines rather than uh, do the archaeology, especially some of the smaller, like mineral exploration companies out here. Um, I mean, they they really can get their permits and things like that pulled, and and you know they'll only be able to do that a few times before um, they get slapped and and won't be able to operate anymore. But these huge companies that are operating these pipelines, I mean, they're not going to get their billion dollar contract pulled. Oh no, I mean, there's there's just not too many companies that can actually do this kind of thing anyway. So. You know, all you can do is raise the fines on them or, or have some more enforcement and make it worth their while, but nobody's going to do that either. No, so. that's, it's not going to happen either. So it's it's a catch-22, and I just feel like you know the, it's the archaeology that suffers, and then we as the ministers of it just get to watch what we love just be completely meaningless, essentially. So. Right. Okay, well, on to uh, uh, shinier things. Uh, so <laughs> what is your career goal in CRM? No, oh, my or- God. Or is he, or how about this? Uh, a, a lot of people seem to, and, and if this is your if this is your deal, then then fine. Um, but a lot of people seem to think that CRM is sort of a, especially people with bachelor's degrees, they seem to think that CRM is sort of a stopping point on the way to an eventual academic career that never happens. Huh. Yeah, I, I have absolutely no dreams of an academic career. For starters, I don't ever want to teach because I think I would be terrible at it. I guess my goal in this is to maybe not die with arthritis and a bad back. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen now. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I guess, do you want to, do you want to eventually move up into some sort of principal investigator position? Are you happy crew chiefing at, at that level? Cause a lot of people are happy at that level. Sure. and don't have any desire to move up. Um, you know, I, I sometimes uh, get this twinge of ambition, which is obviously why I've pushed so hard to get to where I am just at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I really enjoy. I really wanted to be a crew chief, um, just because I was like, I'm smart enough to do that. I should yes. do that. So I did, and I I like it. Um, in terms of moving on beyond this point, I I waffle back and forth. Um, I don't have my master's degree yet, and oftentimes I think, you know, I should probably do that. But then I also see lots and lots of field techs who have a master's degree, and um, you know, bless their hearts. That's as far as they've they've got right now. Uh, so it's like, well, I'm doing okay without it, and I like field teching just fine. So uh, it, it's I'm just kind of riding this out right now. Um, okay. 
I don't know if I want to continue in CRM forever. And so to get a master's degree in archaeology or in CRM, like you have um, mm -hmm. with the UGA program, um, I, I've, I've thought about the historic preservation route, which also really interests me. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of at a point where I'm just seeing how things go, and I'm not really interested in getting myself into student debt right now. Right. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of in limbo and, and seeing, seeing where this takes me. Okay. You know, I have heard, I'll just make one comment on field techs with master's degrees. Uh, and this isn't obviously the case in all cases. And I'm sure somebody's listening to this that, uh, you know, will either agree or disagree with me, both of them. But I will say that if, if you're seeing a lot of techs out there that have master's degrees, I'm willing to bet in a lot of cases, it's really an ambition problem. Um, you know, they're, they're not, they're not willing to either go to where those positions are. They're not willing to put those sell themselves in those positions. Like you wanted to start crew chiefing. So you started pushing yourself in that direction and now you're crew chiefing. And I know plenty of people out here in the great basin because the regulations are a little different that don't even have master's degrees, but that are project managers because they right. wanted to put themselves in that position. Yes. And the way it works out there is like, you have to get the hours in the certain districts, right? The, the months. Yeah. Months, months basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can actually be a principal investigator out here without having a, a graduate degree. Right. And I, think I think that's excellent. Um, if you've got the infield experience, I don't know why um, you shouldn't be able to. I mean, having a master's degree, I'm sure, is beneficial. But yeah, there are there are differing opinions on that because it's not when you, when you get up to management, it's not all about just knowing how to do archaeology. There's no, a lot more. No. Yeah, uh, you got to deal with the legal side and the writing. Right course too I, under, I definitely understand yeah. but yeah i feel like you should be able to at least get to a field director level mm -hmm. um, i mean pi that's a little that's a little maybe in over your head if you're not you know trained. <laughs> right but right. i mean if you're just field directing i don't know i'm not a field director so maybe i'm talking out my ass i don't know all the details <laughs> of what it entails but you should definitely i mean i've i've worked for companies where you can't crew chief unless you have a master's degree right and um you know, I I see the side of that where it's like, well, you put your time in to go and get a master's degree, but there are plenty of people who put their time in 20 years, you know, mm -hmm. however long, and you don't trust them to run a crew in the field. Right. So it's... Some of that's... Some of that's agency mandated too for education requirements at certain positions. And sure. then some, some companies, if they get enough of those types of projects, then they'll, just, they'll just make it a rule. Yeah. Yeah. There's two sides to every... To every story you know exactly and that's the one thing you learn being in this longer and moving up and seeing some of the behind the scenes stuff like you're dealing with right now at, at your company is you start getting a little a little bigger piece of the big picture and you start understanding why some decisions are made and why things happen rather than just the the angry field tech that's just like why is all this happening to me well okay some people are dicks but some things do Sometimes happen because there there's yeah. exactly yeah it's unfortunate to be well I mean I guess I put myself in this position a lot of times I found myself more and more you have to be the filter mm -hmm. from the bullshit from the top to you know your crew who doesn't understand what's going on and it's like you know you guys I want you to be as aware and in the know as I am which isn't always that much but like I I hate the feeling of like your information's being withheld from you because you're just a field tech. You know, I don't want. I want to to make sure they get as much knowledge and info as I have. Exactly. All right, last question: If you could give an undergrad thinking about CRM as a career uh, one piece of advice, what would that be? 
uh, change your major. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've covered that one before. Yeah, probably. Um, so, so aside from changing their major, if they refuse to change their major, what would you tell them that you wish? I guess what you wish you would have known as an undergrad. Um, yeah, aside from avoiding the field entirely. Um. Well, I mean, I say that with a sense of humor. <laughs> I hope everyone knows, but well, I guess kind of. I don't know. Gee, um, the best advice I can give from having done this for a few years, um, I would say is definitely be open to the idea of traveling a lot. Don't pigeonhole yourself into a specific set of states or regions, you know, try and get out there and try and get a, a West coast job or an East coast job or a, you know, Pacific Northwest job. And it's hard to get those if you don't have the second important thing that I would advise people to do, and that is to very heavily, as much as you can, network mm -hmm. and make friends in the industry and um, keep in touch with those people because maybe you want to go to Oregon and you work in South Carolina, but you have a friend who has significant amounts of work in Oregon. You know what? All it takes is them saying, hey, you should try this person even though they don't have the experience. And then you've got the job that you want. I mean, that's the reason I got to Nevada was because of you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so if that is, if you truly want to get in and get balls deep, you have to be flexible and willing to go anywhere, everywhere. Um, I think that's probably the best advice I can give a new person is to just go, go full force. Yeah. I think uh, that's spot on too, because I've, I've said told that to people before. Every time I hear somebody that says, "Oh, there's no work in CRM," there's so I can't find anything, I can't ever move up, and I'll be like, "So where where have you looked?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, right here." <laughs> nope, you got to be willing to move. I mean, yeah. got to be willing to get yourself there too. Um, right. You know, that's it's just the name of the game. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a great it's a great way to see the country. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. I mean, you may not make that much money doing it, but man, you'll see as much of the country as you want to. And you'll yeah. see that part of the country for as long as you want to, you know, like you can you can stay in a certain area for 6 months a year and say, "Hey, I'm done with this. I'm going to try somewhere else now." Show notes for this and all episodes can be found on the Archaeology Podcast Network website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. At that page, you'll also find a form that you can fill out so you can be interviewed on the show. Interviews take less than 30 minutes and you don't need any special equipment. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the field. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.